Welcome to the Kingdom Revival Culture Podcast, keeping you in touch with Faith Mountain Fellowship Church in Red River, New Mexico. You know, the love that Jesus Christ calls his body to is an amazing, everlasting, unconditional love. And this podcast is just one of the ways that you and I can build each other up in that love. So to start, just enjoy this message, and then please contact us with prayer requests, feedback, or anything else you'd like to discuss at fmfcpodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from everyone interested in helping create a kingdom revival culture. Good morning, everybody. Happy Palm Sunday. Wow. Didn't they do a great job this morning? I'm so proud of our kids. Thank you, Mindy and Leanne and Miss Marcia for making cardboard Jesus. <laughs> and Leanne came up with this idea. And I, some of you who want a real uh, door prize this morning, see these palm branches? You know what they've got on them? This, a few of them have donkey hoofs printed on there. If you want one of those, they're up here. I thought that was real clever. The kids, the kids did that last Thursday night. Uh, that's the first time I've ever learned to print with a potato. You're never too old to learn something, amen? Yeah. Well, if you're visiting, golly, we're glad you're here. Faith Mountain, we're in, we are actually in our 40th year of ministry, and we are so blessed as a body. Um, let, me, let me start this morning, since Billy Graham, our, one of our great patriarchs, just passed, and he, uh, he was so dear to the, to the body of Christ all across the world, but especially in this nation. But he, he tells a story, and I want to just read it to you when he was a young, young preacher. And the Reverend Billy Graham tells of a time in his early ministry when he arrived in a small town to preach. Wanting to mail a letter, he asked a young boy, where's the post office? When the boy had told him, Dr. Graham thanked him and said, if you'll come to church this evening, you can hear me telling everyone how to get to heaven. I don't think I'll be there, the boy said. You don't even know your way to the post office. <laughs> I can just see Billy Graham <laughs> telling that story. But I'll tell you one thing, he did know his way to heaven. <laughs> wow. Palm Sunday is one of my favorite weeks of the year as a believer. And Pastor Ed so graciously invited me to preach and um, I'm not a preacher, I'm not a teacher, I'm a fumbler, but I find my way through the Word of God, and uh, we're going to look at a lot of Scripture this morning and, and see if we can't kind of pull together this whole story about Palm Sunday. It's, uh, it's a wonderful story, and there's some jewels, some hidden jewels in it that I never realized before, and um, I think the church needs to know. It, it's, the, it's actually part of the beginning of the Holy Week, the Passion Week of Christ. And actually, what we don't see in before Palm Sunday, 
part of the Passion Week that never gets included. Remember when Jesus went to Lazarus and, and Mary and Martha's house and uh, he actually raised him from the dead. But prior to that, they were having dinner and Mary anointed Jesus at that dinner and he, she poured perfume oil on, her, on his head and on his feet and many scholars believe that that's when Jesus was, was officially anointed as king. He had to be anointed before he came into Jerusalem. So I think that's a, an interesting side story, back story, if you would, to the Palm Sunday thing. But I want to I read, and I want you guys to participate with me this morning as the kids worshiped him and waved the palm branches. I want you to, to make a scripture declaration to the Lord this morning. But it comes from King David. And King David didn't even know, perhaps, the weight of this scripture. It's in Psalm 118. And I want you to turn there. And this is one of my favorite pieces of scripture because not too many people know this. And this is another little jewel that Psalm 118, verse 8, is the very center verse in the Bible. People, some, you know, number nerds like me have counted up all the chapters in the Bible. I think they did it in the King James. And they determined that Psalm 118, 8 was the very center of the Bible. The cool thing is, do you know how many chapters there are in the Bible? Look at that number on the screen. There are 1,188 chapters in the Bible. Isn't it just like God to do a little thing like that? That's the center verse. And better still, look at the, look at the text of that verse. It said, it's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in humans. I think that's a, a word for the ages, amen? Anyway, we're going to read the last part of Psalm 118, and I want you to stand, and I want you to look at, we're going to read verses 19 through 29. Stand with me, and let's read this as an act of worship unto the Lord, okay? Because watch the Watch for the things that pertain to this very day, okay? Read with me. Open for me the gates of righteousness. I will enter and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord through which the righteous may enter. I will give you thanks for you answered me. You have become my salvation. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this. And it is marvelous in our eyes. The Lord has done it this very day. Let us rejoice and be glad. Lord, save us. Lord, grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord we bless you. The Lord is God. He has made his light shine on us. With bows in hand, join in the festal procession up to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I will praise you. You are my God, and I will exalt you. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Amen? Yeah. Woo, give him a hand. 
Thank you, Lord. You can be seated. That verse 24, how many have said, this is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. I think many Christians use that when they get out of bed every morning and thinking perhaps that that was written for this day and then tomorrow and then tomorrow and then tomorrow. No, it was really written for Palm Sunday because this is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad because he opened for us that day the gate of righteousness. When he came into Jerusalem, he opened for us the gate of redemption. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. I want you to look at another scripture from Zechariah 9.9. How many are number nerds here in the Bible? <laughs> How many know what the number nine means in the in Christianity or in the Bible it it basically means blessings fulfilled blessings fulfilled listen to this scripture 510 years before Christ the prophet Zechariah said rejoice greatly daughter Zion shout daughter Jerusalem see your king comes to you riding righteously and victorious, lowly, and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Isn't that amazing that a prophet predicted exactly what would happen on this day, and even down to the animal, the very foal of a colt? Turn with me, and let's look at a... a Another rendition, another gospel representation of this Palm Sunday because Luke kind of does things a little more in detail. Luke was a doctor and uh, he didn't like to miss anything so he probably took better notes than some of the other gospel writers. But look at, uh, look at Luke 19. Let's, let's just work through this uh, the second rendition of the gospel story of the Palm Sunday. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem and he approached Bethpagi and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives. Golden Parsons taught me that it's not Bethpage, it's Bethpagi in Hebrew. I don't know. I like the sound of that. He went up the hill called Mount, the Mount of Olives and he sent two of his disciples saying, go into that village up there ahead of you and as you enter it you will find a colt tied there which has never been written untied and bring it here if anyone asks you what you are doing while you are untying it say the Lord needs it those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them as they were untying the colt the owners asked why are you untying that colt and they replied the Lord needs it and they let him have it they brought it to Jesus and they threw their cloaks on the colt and put Jesus on it. I'm going to stop right there. How many cowboys do we have in this room? How many times, or cowgirls, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. 
I am so uncowboy. <laughs> the only quarter horse I've ever ridden was out in front of the grocery store. Um, <laughs> bad joke. I know. Um, thank you, Lord. But I've never seen a four-legged animal that you could throw a cloak over, get on and ride through a crowd. Have you ever seen that before? Even a donkey. Well, can you do that to a donkey, RC? No way. Especially the colt, huh? I mean, you probably need four ropes, don't you? So there's something supernatural going on here. Do you agree? You know? A donkey, certain kings would come into the city riding donkeys or mules in those days, and that means they were coming in peace. They were coming in peace. So, and also, Jesus, man, he was humble and lowly. I love that word, lowly, Michael, because <laughs> I'm not very lowly. Lowly. At his birth, he was lowly. At his coronation, he was lowly. At his death, he was lowly. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That kind of humility is what Jesus rode into Jerusalem with that day, especially on this little dinky donkey. But it was just what the prophet said. Let's read on. When he came near the place where the road goes down to the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Keep in mind that these are his disciples now that are praising God. They just seen him raise Lazarus from the dead. They were really, really excited of all the works, the miracles that he had done. And some of them were really getting it down in their spirit. Hey, this is God. This guy is really God. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, verse 38. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Boy, the religious people could blow a good party, couldn't they? <laughs> I knew that's going to get one out of you, Damien. <laughs> the religious people. Jesus was trying to teach them it wasn't about religion. It's about what? Relationship, wasn't it? It's about who I am and who God is and who he wants to be in your life and how he wants to connect with you. And you don't have any part in it. We're just coming because we love you. And we want your flesh redeemed and your life saved. We grow up, <laughs> no, I won't even go there, okay. <laughs> I tell you, Jesus replied to those religious Pharisees, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. And now I could go into a sermon right now to preach to you how all of creation is in alignment with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Creation it's not just a bunch of cells on a tree or animals in a field or water in a brook. Creation is connected to its creator. Amen. 
And I think the Native Americans get that right better than we do. But we don't understand it because it's supernatural. And so we push that part out of our teachings, usually. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, now this is the the crux to what we're going to camp on today. What does it say? He wept. He wept over it. And then he said these words, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now, but now, it's hidden from you, from your eyes. Man, that is a power sentence in the Gospels. When, he, when you see a, a, a scripture that says, if you, even you, Jesus is really, he's backing up. He backs up and he said, you, even you, talking about everyone that was present. If you'd only known on this day what would bring you, what? Peace. He didn't say what would bring you salvation. He didn't say what would bring you healing. He didn't say what would bring you happiness. He said what would bring you So there's something more to this little word than meets the eyes. I want you to turn to Philippians 4, 7. Read that with me. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. <clears throat> We're doing a new Bible study technique in men's prayer breakfast and some of the life groups. And I really like it. It's called the promise principle. And what you do, you pick a section of scripture, a chapter, and you, you go through and you identify the promises in that section and then if it affects you in some way, or if it's touching your spirit, you put a little cross, put a little star out there beside it, and then we come back and we pray that over your life, whatever it is. Um, man, this one got by me a bunch before I understood it. And the peace of God, which transcends <laughs> all understanding, um, man, college education will mess your mess with your mind on that one, because I tried many years when I was a younger guy, traveling music and all, uh, to identify with the peace movement. Boy, that's a dead end street, but we'll. You know, I'll get to that in a minute. But and the peace of God, which transcends—that's uh, a popular—that's a popular word in collegiate circles. Transcends, transcendent. Uh, but what it means here, it, it goes beyond. 
it passes. In other words, wherever, wherever understanding stops, that's where peace begins. The peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. This is the part I love. Peace, the peace that Jesus brought that day. And this is why he wept. Because they just passed up the opportunity to have their hearts guarded for life. And their minds to be in heaven. And their minds to be in Christ. Have you ever thought about how this scripture breaks down that way? That's what Jesus was weeping about. You're, passing, you're, you're, you're missing my whole purpose for coming. You know, there are people in this room, and I'm going to get sentimental right now, but there's people in this room that have lived that out. In fact, most of you probably have, but the people who have lost loved ones and lost their bodies and suffered with financial catastrophe and had children die and they're still out there witnessing for the Lord they're telling people the peace that comes beyond all understanding and church let's keep going <laughs> we'll get there we'll get there I want you to look at Luke 2. I love this little part of Scripture. Uh, Luke 2. This is glory in the highest. You know where we are here? On earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. Okay, where are we? We're on a hillside outside of Bethlehem with a bunch of smelly sheep and shepherds. And all of a sudden, their mundane life is exploded by heavenly creatures, heavenly people telling them how to find peace on earth. Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. Is his favor resting on you this morning? It is on me. You know, um, I'm going to tell you something. There's no conditions on peace. It comes as standard equipment when you are born again. Isn't that good news? Isn't that good news? Um, but there's people that don't want to hear that. Um, this peace is unexplainable. It supersedes reason. Transcends understanding. It brings a supernatural rest to the soul. Mm. Every true believer has experienced. In reality, it comes when we are in his presence. Do you think these shepherds were in his presence? Getting close, huh? They, they were telling him, go down the hillside here to a little town. 
and you're going to be in his presence. The original Hebrew word, now we're going to move into something, with peace only comes from his presence. And that's what Jesus did on Palm Sunday. His presence went into Jerusalem and he knew they weren't going to accept him. A week later, after this great coronation, the same people were shouting what? Crucify him, crucify him. I mean, somebody's hearts ain't guarded here. Somebody's, heart, somebody's hearts are double-minded, divided hearts. They, were, they said they're disciples, but the religious people didn't want to embrace this guy Rome didn't want anything to do with him, washed his hands of him. So what happens? Get rid of him. Kill him. Folks, that's demonic. That's demonic. The darkness got in, didn't it? And it got in because one person started it and said, Isn't this just the carpenter's son, Joseph's son? He can't be God. When the world starts speaking those kinds of lies, you've got to be ready to say, no, this is my, the whom I put my faith in. But they didn't. They didn't. And let's see what happened. Um, there's no conditions on peace revealed here. It is strictly a case of beholding and believing the revelation gift of God. And that's his son Jesus. You know, I read a commentary several days ago that said, the conditions of peace are repentance, reformation, and righteousness. I said, something's not right with that, God. And he said, yes, those things will follow. But they aren't conditional upon peace. Peace was a gift, and we're going to see where that is. Uh, you know, <laughs> let me finish this because this is good. Um, those shepherds didn't have a drive-through confessional or take a quick online course on the Reformation or get the Ten Commandments app on their smartphone before they took off for Bethlehem. No. They just wanted some of that glory and that peace that the angels were talking about. Every heart, say with me, every heart it's made for rest. Every heart is made for peace. Our, even our physical hearts are made for rest. You know, I've been fortunate to be dealing with a little hypertension lately, in the last year or two, and so my doctor's been giving me some little white pills to help that. And saying, I want you to take your blood pressure every day or two. And so I've learned, finally learned the difference between systolic and diastolic pressure. Guys from Oak Cliff don't 
pick up on that stuff very often. But anyway, <laughs> you know, systolic is the is the pressure when the heart is blasting the blood out. That's the the high pressure. But God knew He need to put a rest in there, and the diastolics, the recovery when the heart needs to rest and it fills back up with blood. Even the heart needs to rest and every man, every soul needs to rest. Favor, favor, Jesus said, comes in the resting. His peace is a heavenly peace. He brought it with him. And Isaiah prophesied it many years ago. Look at Isaiah 9, 6 and 7a. For unto us a child is born, a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders. And he will be called, listen, these are great names. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. What? Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. I think it's interesting. Salvation isn't even talked about yet. It's the peace that passes all understanding. You've got to get people there where they can experience the true nature of Christ. When they experience who He is and understand His love and understand His peace, then, the, then they can start to understand the salvation. Let's look at these verses a minute in John 14. Peace, this is another critical part of this message. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you, I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. What does he say? My peace I leave you. Peace I give you. I do not give as the world gives. Have you ever tried to get peace from a bumper sticker? Golly. They say if you, what is the word? If you grew up in, see, if you remember the 60s, you probably weren't there. <laughs> Think about that. You know, and I could paint you a lot of images right now. But the one I'm thinking about is VW buses and patchouli, sage smudge pots and LSD. That was the road to peace. Communes, Taos was full of this stuff. <laughs> Still is. <laughs> ben, I can hear you laughing all the way from Argentina. <laughs> I bet you were a smudge pot guy. Anyway. <laughs> I do not give as the world gives. I tried being a hippie for a little while. It's hard to make a redneck a hippie. Huh? Amen. 
I still got a dream of getting a Harley and going back to Woodstock. Anyway. Many today are spending or trying to spend their way to peace. Through self-gratification and accumulation. Wow. That's another dead-end street. Whatever peace the world has to offer, it always falls short. Amen. I want you to look at 2 Thessalonians 3.16. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times and in every way. And the Lord be with you, all of you. See, Paul understood this thing about peace. He, 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 he had that peace. It is standard equipment with the big love. You know what the big love is, Jesus. You know, uh, there's a bumper sticker that a lot of us used to wear. Why don't you put that up, Tori? You got it there? By the way, uh, yeah. That says it about as tightly as anybody can say it, doesn't it? Dave Kidd has had that on the back of his truck for 20 years. Love you, bro. <laughs> no God, no peace. K-N-O God, K-N-O-W peace. Um, when, the, when the ten virgins um, wise and foolish ones, the foolish ones that didn't have oil in their lamps, got to the door and Jesus said, go away, I never knew you. I never knew you. I always come back to this scripture, I think. Um, you got to have oil in your lamp, church, and I'm not going to go preaching on that, but um, peace only comes with his presence, and the word presence in the Hebrew, you know what? It, the root word for presence in the Hebrew comes from the word face. Face. You know, when we come to Christ, when we come to Jesus, and we make that decision and it's real, not just an altar call or an expectation of a parent or a friend or whatever, but when it's real, when we are broken over our sin and we come to him and cry out and say, I can't do this anymore. I need you. We're saying, I need your peace. I need your peace. Um, peace only comes with his presence and his presence is his face, and when we say that, and when we have that attitude in our heart, his face turns toward us, I believe. The favor of the Lord becomes upon us. And I'm not saying it makes all things easy. 
It just makes all things right. It makes all things. It makes sin not fun anymore. I want to read some stuff. I'm almost done here. That one of my favorite preachers wrote. And he said, in the light of his face, his presence, all circumstances in our lives lose their significance to be able to rob and steal from us. Let me read that again. In the light of his face, his presence, all circumstances in our lives lose their significance to be able to rob and steal from us. Heart, guarded heart, guarded heart. They lose their power. The breakthrough for many people begins when they stop being impressed by the size of their problems. Are you impressed by the size of your problems? No. In his present, that glory where you come face to face with why you're alive... That manifested glory is the one thing that fully satisfies why we are alive. You were born for this. You were born. We were born and designed to live in the glory of God. Every person born into Jesus is invited to enter into this place of glory and peace. You can't exceed his heart for you. You cannot surpass or be more zealous You cannot be more affectionate. You cannot be more good than his heart is for you. Isn't that awesome? All this is wrapped up in his presence, his peace. Yet his own people, and many people today say, no, I want to make my own way to God. This is why. This is why Jesus wept over Jerusalem. I want to read you something really cool. I found this this week, and I don't know, maybe, maybe some of you have heard it. How many have seen or heard of or have read Jonathan Kahn's book, The Book of Mysteries? It's the book of Bible mysteries. If you haven't, I would say it's, it's a great classic that you should read. And it's all biblical mystery. So the premise that Jonathan Kahn goes, he's, he's, he's a teacher or it's a, he portrays a teacher and a student, and they, they might be in the desert, they might be up on a mountaintop, but each day, each day has a different mystery, and they're going through these mysteries. This one blew me away. It's called the Akeda mystery. Have you ever heard of the Akeda? Asked the teacher. That's Hebrew. It's the offering up of Isaac by his father, Abraham. I've heard of it, the student said, but I have never understood why it happened. Why? It was a test, he said, but also a mystery. At the end of the test, God... Let me get in the light where I can read this. It's small print. At the end of the test, God sealed his covenant with Abraham. In such a covenant, each party had to be willing to do what the other was willing to do. That's what this covenant was all about. 
Now let's open up the mystery. Abraham was willing to offer up his son as a sacrifice. Therefore, and then the student says, Therefore God, I replied, would have to be willing to offer up his son as a sacrifice. The father Abraham brings his son on a donkey, said the teacher, to the land of sacrifice. So then God would bring his son on a donkey to the land of sacrifice. Palm Sunday. Messiah is brought on a donkey to the place of sacrifice. The father places, Abraham places the wood of the sacrifice on his son's shoulder. God would place the wood of the sacrifice, the cross, on Messiah's shoulder. The son carries the wood up the mountain to the place of the sacrifice. Messiah carries the wood of the cross to the place of the sacrifice. The father lays his son upon the wood and binds him to it. Messiah is laid on the wood and the cross is bound to it. The father lifts up a knife of sacrifice, but he stopped. And so the knife, the judgment of God is lifted up, but he's not stopped. Messiah is killed on the wood of the sacrifice. Do you know what happens in this account for the first time in all of Scripture? No. The word love. The first love in the Bible is from this account. The love of the father Abraham for the son. You go get your son whom you love. Just as the first love in existence was that of the Father for the Son. And yet the Father was willing to offer up the Son of His love and to save you. Then He must love you with the same love which He loved the Son. As it is written, God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. So, You don't ever have to wonder how much God loves you, church. The sign is already there on the wood of the sacrifice. As much as he loves his son, his only begotten son, the greatest love in all existence, that's how much he loves you. Have you ever made that association before with Isaac and Abraham? God is always previous, church. He always tells us what he's going to do, ahead of what he's going to do. Remember all the things that he did in the Gospels. He told Peter he was going to deny him. He told Judas he was going to betray him. He told him, you're going to catch fish on the other side of the boat. God is always previous. The prophets foretold what was going to happen on Palm Sunday. God foretold that you would be his child and you would receive his peace. Hmm. The folks who were praising King Jesus outside the city on Palm Sunday a week later had been drawn into the political and the religious snake pit and were yelling, crucify him. I sense that is happening today, church, 
Many believers are being drawn into the ever-darkening culture and political slime pit and losing their peace. Some of you have lost your peace in the climate that we're living in. That priceless gift that is only present in his presence. Is this you? I never, uh, I never thought I'd preach a whole sermon on peace until I understood what Jesus was talking about, why he wept, the weeping king. If you're in that position where you have let the world pull you back into the slime pit, and you've lost your peace. I want you just to receive it back today. And you can do that <laughs> a lot of different ways. But let's, why don't we all stand? And Mindy, if you'll play a little bit. If our intercessors had come, Pastor, has the Lord given you anything this morning? Um, for our body of, of how we should respond to this great day in our history and this message. Okay. Um, I almost lost my peace this week. You know, anytime you preach on something, pastor knows real well. Twice, the enemy made a run at me and tried to take me out and let my flesh get slithering out there and get weird. And uh, finally I went, oh, that's what's going on. He's trying to steal my peace just like he tried to from the people that were there at that precious coronation. Friday was a whole different scene. If you've kind of been dragged into a Friday judgment thing, whether it's towards your neighbor, towards your family, towards your spouse. Or if you keep losing your peace, you know, don't leave this altar without getting some peace. Okay? You guys just pray for people if they need to say, I'm, I've been dragged away and I need to come home. If you've never experienced that peace that passes all understanding this morning, that cross right there is the cross of peace. The Prince of Peace hung on it, and he's ready to receive you. Walk over there and pray with Bert and Sheila and Marsha or Andrew and Cece and receive him and get your peace and get your eternal destiny. Amen?